Uh, Rob gets a bigger applause. <laughs> not, not, really. Yeah. not really. Not really, no. You're, you're right. And Rob's not here, so we can do whatever we want. So are there any questions? All right, then we'll leave. Nope, don't have anything cute, to, uh, or as Rob does, any quizzes for you. But I want to let you know right at the beginning that there will be a quiz at the end of the service or next week. So you have to be listening very carefully. Our scripture today comes in pairs. It is two that are put together and they come as, as a pair of stories in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason they do that is because they have the same thing. And by the way, Jeff, I just want to thank you again publicly for your ability that God has given you to choose the right songs. Because in the last song are two very important themes that we see in these two mirror image stories. And that is the healer and the calmer, the calmer of the waves. Because that's the two stories. Last week, I believe, anybody remember, Rob preached on Jesus calming the sea. Is that correct? Anybody remember? <laughs> okay, well, we'll tell Rob that. Uh, but that's in the lectionary, and we're preaching to the lectionary, so that must be uh, what he preached on. Uh, and as you remember, the story is Jesus is going with his disciples at night. They're going across the Sea of Galilee to the, to the other side. And a great storm comes up, the wind is blowing, it's blowing the boat off course, the wind is blowing the waves into the boat, and they're beginning to swamp the boat. The disciples are afraid for their lives. And Jesus calms the sea and the winds. And his disciples then ask this question, who is this man that commands the wind and the waves and they obey him. Well, that's the question that many of us have that we're going to answer this morning. Who is this man? Because one of the themes in these two stories that are, are together in the three Gospels is about Jesus' identity. Who is this man? And we'll see some glimpses into the identity of Jesus. But before we read our scripture... Let us pray that God will illumine our hearts and our eyes as we hear his word proclaimed. As we listen to your word, gracious Lord, pour upon us the power and wisdom of your spirit, that we may hear your voice with clarity, so walk with Jesus, following him in the way of the cross, ready to offer even the gifts of our lives to show to the world your kingdom. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So today's scripture reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And I may have to come out here to get better light. As you get older, you begin to get cataracts, and the lights aren't bright enough. So I have a hard time reading. I need to get... There I go. I've got to get out of my, sh my shadow. Okay. Now, I can see it here. Thank you. All right, beginning verse 36. They sailed to the region of the Gesserines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a home, 
but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirits to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he had chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he, re he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. They didn't want to go to the abyss because that meant their complete destruction. And so they wanted to go somewhere else. A large herd of pigs was feeding uh, there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were destroyed or were drowned. When those uh, tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town, in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all of the people of the region of the Gesserines asked Jesus, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had, been, had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, as I mentioned, I'm going to give you uh, a couple theological terms or phrases that there may be a quiz on. So pay attention. But what we're looking at is the identity of Jesus. And we three, see three glimpses of Jesus' identity here. And the first is that he is Christos Victor. That's the first theological term that you'll learn today. Uh, the second is that he is a God of grace and that he is the master who sends. He is Christos Victor. That's an old Latin term. The ancient, Greek, uh, the ancient uh, Christian fathers, the theologians, used that term as one of four analogies to explain the atonement. Now, the atonement is a big word meaning all of, of what it means for our salvation. How has it come about? Uh, who initiates it, how do we get it, all of those things are about our salvation or called the atonement. And so they have these four different analogies, and one is Christos Victor. And it means very simply what you think the words mean. Jesus Christ is the victor. He, in his life, death, and resurrection has conquered the chaos of the world, the evil, the darkness, the death, and the guilt. He took it upon himself. He rose from death to life. 
and defeated Satan. And so he is Christos Victor. And you may be saying or wondering right now, okay, listen, if he is Christos Victor, if he has won the battle over darkness and death, then why is there chaos in our world instead of just order? I mean, rather than order. Well, the answer is another little theological phrase that you might want to remember, and it helps me very much. It's a phrase that theologians use to describe the kingdom of God. When Jesus came and was born into human life, he brought the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God means the rule of God. It doesn't mean a realm. It doesn't mean a territory. It means the rule of God. Jesus brought the rule of God to earth, and the kingdom of God is here now present among us in our world. But the problem is, it is here, but it is, but not yet. Meaning that Jesus was the victor, but it isn't fully complete at this point. Let me illustrate. We've all gone through terrible wildfires here in Southern California, and many of us in this room were, last November, were evacuated. And so what we wait for is we wait for the, the, the announcement that the fire has been 100% contained. And then we can relax. Now, we got to go home well before the fire was, uh, the hill fire, not the hill fire, the Woolsey fire was, was contained. But our anxiety was lessened. We had less fear and we went home. But we wait for that announcement that the fire has been 100% contained. When it is, and you're watching television, the news, you see that there are still firemen out there on the hills putting out little spot fires. Now, those aren't going to cause a big conflagration because all of the fuel around them has been burnt. But there are embers there. And the winds, particularly the Santa Anas, can pick up those embers and take them for miles away to where there is grass that hasn't burned and start another major wildfire. So the fire is 100% contained, but yet there are still some spot fires that need to be put out. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus Christ is, is... victorious over evil and death. But it's not yet consummated and complete. One other little example to drive this home for you. Imagine that there's a championship boxing match of 15 rounds. There's the champion against the challenger. The champion has won all 14 rounds. It's unequivocal. All of the judges have him overwhelmingly winning all 14 rounds. So there's no way that the challenger can win this match unless he knocks out the opponent. So he comes out in the 15th round. He's almost out on his feet. And he comes out swinging wildly because he knows his only hope is to get a knockout. And he's swinging wildly, hoping for a lucky blow to knock out the challenger. Well, that's the way it is with Satan. Satan has been defeated But there's still some of his domain, his authority left. 
some spot fires that need to be put out. The battle is over, the war is won, but there's still some skirmishes to go on. And so it is, but not yet. But we live as people of God in the hope that is presented by Christos Victor. And we sang the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is, my, is Our God, and I asked Jeff to sing that. There was a number of other ones that uh, would do as well, but, but that particular one, because you notice that it talks about the power of Satan, and as the song goes on, as the hymn goes on, it says, Lo, his power is great, yet one little word will fail him. That one little word is Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word of God. And it will fail him because Christ is Christos Victor. And that is our hope. And we can live in this world as Christians because we have that hope. The entire scripture from beginning to end is a drama. A drama in which God portrays this great event of human salvation from beginning to end. It culminates in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we share in that as the people of God. That is our hope. So we get a glimpse of Jesus. He is Christos Victor. But remember... His victory is, but it's not yet complete. The second glimpse we give of Jesus' identity is that he's a God of grace. When he comes into that country, and by the way, we know this was a Gentile uh, area of uh, the whole area of Palestine, because the, the area where Jesus went with the disciples, it's called Decapolis. It's, that's two words put together. Deca is Greek for ten. Polis is city, ten cities. There were ten Greek cities in the area. The principal city in that area was founded by Alexander the Great, and it remained Greek-speaking cities. So it's a Gentile area. So now we wonder, why is Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, leaving Galilee where he's had this ministry that started and it's becoming successful. People are following. People are coming out to be, be healed. They're listening to him. They want to be with him. And he leaves Galilee and he goes to a Gentile area. When the demoniac, the man, sees Jesus, he runs up to him because he's assuming something. He's assuming that Jesus came to harm him. And he cries out, and we don't know if it's the man crying out, if it's the demons crying out, or if it's a combination of both. And he calls himself, Jesus asks him his name to, to make a connection with him, and he says, my name is Legion. Legion is a Roman term, and it means a unit in the, in the Roman army made up of 5,600 soldiers. So this man is saying, I am Legion. I have all kinds of evil stuff within me. It's not necessarily that number, but it's a way to say there's a lot. So he cries out to Jesus and says, don't torture me. 
And Jesus asks his name very calmly, what is your name? In order to make a human connection. Now this man has nothing to commend himself to God. He's a demoniac. He's lived naked in the tombs. He's outcast from his family and friends. They even try, would tie him up with chains and have a guard over him and he'd break the chains and he'd flee again. He had no faith that we were aware of. Gives nothing to commend him to. But Jesus comes to that man and to me, the fact that he went with his disciples on that scary ride across the Sea of Galilee to that Gentile area says Jesus did it intentionally so that he could give his grace to that man. And what does he do? He casts out the demons. When this man has no merit, he has no way he can achieve this. And God, in his gracious love, casts out the demons. And here's the wonderful thing. The man then has faith engendered within him. Remember this, grace precedes faith. Grace always comes first, and then God in his grace enables us to grow, and faith grows within us because of the actions of God. It's not the other way around. You hear people saying, well, you know, we really got to pray hard about this thing. If we pray hard, then, you know, God's surely going to do it as though our praying hard will influence God and change God's mind. No. God is sovereign. The measure of our praying doesn't equal the measure of the results. Because God is a God of grace who freely gives. And with the grace comes faith. So this man has faith. Because God has come to him in Jesus Christ and healed him. So we see in Jesus the grace of God. And the third glimpse we get of Jesus' identity. First, he is Christos, victor. He is, has victory over the evil forces. He's a God of grace, and he extends grace, and the result is we engender, faith is engendered in us. And then he's a master who sends. Now you'll notice the movement within the text of the people in that area had awe when Jesus first arrived. But then they have fear after he's healed the man, and twice it said they feared him. And so they're in fear. But the man is no longer in fear. Luke has this list of things to show the authentication of this particular miracle. He lists these things. He says the man was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That is a humble expression of of servitude, of discipleship. The disciples always sat at the master's feet to learn. This man is saying, I want to learn from you, Jesus the master. 
And so he's sitting there. He's clothed. He now recognizes the the, the cultural melu, he understands the cultural values and he doesn't want to be offensive, so now he's wearing clothes and he has pride in himself. So Luke is listing these things to say, this is what was witnessed. And in a sense, if you want to check this out, go talk to all the people because they saw the change from a raging maniac who was mad to a man sitting at the feet of the master to learn. And he wants to do what all of us, I'm sure, would love to do. And that is to go with Jesus, to follow him, to be his disciple. And he says, Lord, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. No. I want you to go to your hometown and tell them everything that God has done for you. And he obeys. He gets up, he goes to his hometown, and he obeys, he tells them. But he doesn't tell them what God has done, he tells them what Jesus has done. But I think what he's doing is making a parallel there, because he knows that only God can do this great miraculous thing that has happened to him. And Jesus did this miracle. So Jesus must be God. That's what he tells them. Our Lord is still the sending Lord. That's what this church was founded on. A group of people that are sent out of this room into the community to proclaim the kingdom of God has come, to proclaim Christos victory, that Christ reigns supreme. And we are sent to tell the world what Christ's story has done in our lives how it has changed us, how it's helped us, how it's informed our character. We are sent out from here. But that's not an easy thing because we live in a world that no longer welcomes Christians. It used to be that we had a cherished place in the town square, but no longer. Christians are no longer respected. They not only don't respect us, they probably won't accept our message that's not welcome in their hearing. But still, we're called by God to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, proclaiming Christos victor. So the world will know the identity of Jesus. I learned something this week. I know that's surprising. But I started reading a, a, a book that I don't even remember how I got it, but I had it, and it's a, a church history book, and it's by a historian, a scholar. And what he's doing, it's about the early church, the first three centuries of the early church, and the question that he's asking in the book and answering is, how is it that the early church grew so rapidly and expanded so far in those centuries? And there's a number of, of reasons that the scholars all have lined up. But he starts the book with one that the scholars don't normally list. And he says the church was effective and a good witness to the kingdom of God and to Christos Victor because they were patient. Think about that for a minute. We say that Jesus Christ is Christos Victor, but it is and not yet. So we must wait and be patient 
till the culmination of God when he culminates human history and creates the new world. We want to talk to our friends about our life of faith, about light shine. But we have to be patient because they're probably not in a place where they want to hear it. But we wait patiently for God's time. We, like the people in the, the story, have our fears and our anxieties. But we wait patiently for our Lord to do his work, not only in our lives, but in our world. The early church, this man says, grew because they were patient and the people watching them saw that they were patient in the face of persecutions, of hatred, both physical persecutions and economic where they wouldn't trade with them because they were a Christian. But the Christians were patient. And that was a whole new thought for the people in the Roman world. So we are sent. We're sent to be a voice for the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, but also we're sent as people who are patient. So we glimpse here, I hope, a vision of the identity of Jesus, that he is Christos Victor. He has defeated the devil. And we share in that victory. He's a God of grace. And he comes to us graciously. And when he gives us his grace, our faith grows and is strengthened. And he's ascending God who sends us into this hostile world to proclaim Jesus Christ, Christus Victor. Amen. And let us pray. Loving and gracious God, Sometimes your words are hard. Sometimes they're comforting. And we need both. So take these words of mine and of the scriptures and implant them in all of our hearts that we might be like the demoniac and be obedient and patient. And all of this we ask now in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.